Welcome to the Church at Lake Mead, and this is our sermon podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, we want to say thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you again soon. Here is today's message. Well, if you're new here, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors, and I am grateful to be with you. Uh, Tim, were you waving at me? <laughs> yes. So this, we've been in this series called uh, um, Immeasurably More. And uh, you may have heard uh, in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this next step of, uh, for our church where we would have our own facility. This is a secondary campus that we use each week and we're grateful for it. Uh, but our hope is that we'd be in our own campus in the near future. Uh, and so we kicked off Project 520 last week where we would raise uh, 520,000 to get us moving on that building uh, to get permits and architectural designs and those, the initial steps in making that happen. And you You've been really generous this week, so thank you for being a part of that. If you haven't uh, joined in on that, we encourage you to. You can scan the QR code in front of you uh, to find out a little bit more. But let's let's jump into the uh, the message here. Last last Saturday, a week ago, I was at a funeral right here in this room. We were celebrating the life of Jean, who uh, was in her 80s, and she was part of our community. Uh, her daughter, Melanie, attends here. Her granddaughter, Stacy, uh, attends here, and she also has a great-granddaughter that attends here. Her name is Allie. And uh, they celebrated her life. And at the front end, uh, at the eulogy, a lady named Shelly gets up and begins to share the life of uh, Jean to all of us. And the room was full of grandchildren and great-grandchildren and children. And Shelly begins to share uh, a little bit about Jean's life. And so she begins by saying, uh, when Jean was a teenager, she had gotten pregnant and, uh, and wasn't prepared to raise uh, this little baby. And so she goes to the church and, uh, that she was a part of and says, uh, shared with them what was going on and that she would want to, uh, to have this baby adopted. At the same time, there was a young couple that are at another church who couldn't have children. They'd been praying for years that they would be able to, to have a, ch a child. And so miraculously, the two stories came together at that point. And so Jean, uh, sacrificially and in an incredible uh, way, gave this baby girl over to this couple to raise. And they never crossed paths again at that point. Back in 2018, a little bit before that, Shelley uh, just felt like, oh, I want to pursue knowing who my biological mother is. And, uh, and in her pursuit, uh, she, there was a, a really incredible story about how she found uh, Jean's family. And so she one day ends up getting a hold of Jean and calls her and says, hey, my name is Shelly, and this is my story. Are you my mother? And Jean responds, yes, I am. And, and then Jean begins to tell her four other daughters the story because no one knew. There were very few people that knew. So now these four daughters now have a, a fifth sister. Uh, and so they all decide we're going to meet up, and they meet up. Uh, Shelly lives in California. They live here. They meet up halfway. I think it's Peggy Sue's Diner. I don't know if you, you can picture it while you're driving, right? Yeah. So they all meet there for the very first time. Here's a picture uh, of, the, of them. And uh, Chad, you, you, you cared for her. I, that just not, ah, yeah. You, church, you cared for Jean really well um, uh, in the, this last year. Shelly is right here. Shelly meets her, her mama. She goes on this knowing pursuit, like, I want to know who my biological mother is. 
And she didn't want to just know her name. She didn't want to know just where she lived. She actually wanted to, to know Jean. Like she wanted to pursue knowing this woman. And in that, she got the gift of knowing her four other sisters. She discovered she wasn't an only child, that she was the oldest of five. She got to know all of these grandchildren and great-grandchildren within that family. And over the last two years, it's been this knowing pursuit to get to know all of them more and more. And she shares this at her eulogy, this eulogy about how God had orchestrated all those things, that she stepped into this adventure, this journey of knowing. And so here's what I want you to consider today as we talk about immeasurably more. What does it mean to know? I think you and I could give a definition of knowing. To some degree, I think we could. But what does it actually mean to know? So, so there's a study of knowing called epistemology. And it's this ability to, to where they research, how do you go from opinion to justified belief? Like, how do we cross over to that? Many of us have really strong opinions and may vocalize them often, but they might not be justified beliefs. Is that true? You've got family members who are arguing with you, and you're like, that is not a justified belief. So, so what does it mean to actually know something? What separates opinion, what separates mere knowledge to actually really knowing something altogether? A few weeks ago, we went into this verse right here. Paul says this in Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, it's according to his power that is at work within us. So my question is, how did Paul, the writer of this 2,000 years ago, know that? What did it take for Paul to say, God can do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine? What did it take for him to realize that's the truth? How could he be so bold to write that to a church in Ephesus and say, this is what you should expect from God? And how could we as believers then take it and say, is this really true? Because here's what our options are. Either this is false and we're all in here for no reason, or it's true and what do I need to do with it? So how did Paul so boldly write that and say, this is true? I know this about God. Francis Bacon said this, knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. And we live in a world where we have so much information at our fingertips. Like yesterday, we were on a walk and we were trying to remember a character from a TV show that we watch. And my wife was like, let's practice just trying to recall that memory. Let's not go to our phones. Because all three of us went to, wanted to go to our phone, right? That's what we do now. We go right to our phone if you, have, if you want information. And so we waited and we waited and we waited and we couldn't. We just could not recall. I cannot recall anybody's name, let alone a character on a movie. And so, so what we did is we approached knowledge with this kind of approach, this knowledge as information. So that, that we would want to know something for the information of it. Are you following with me? So, so me knowing that character's name is not going to be transformative in my life. Right? Shelley went beyond this kind of pursuit of knowing to find her biological mom into something that Esther Meek would call this kind of knowing, and it's this. It's loving in order to know. 
Like, I, that I don't want to just know information. I don't want more data to, to discover what I, like, how much water actually goes off of Niagara Falls per second. Like, that's information that's not transformative unless I want to wit- see every waterfall that's uh, throughout the world, right? That would be a different approach uh, to knowing that kind of information. What Shelley did is says, I want to know my biological mother, and in that I would love her. So Esther Meek would say that the goal of knowing is not just to get complete information, like where something is no longer a mystery and now I really know it. The goal is this, it's communion. That I would want to know so much that I would get to know more. Like that there would be no end of knowing on this. So I've been married 23 years and I still don't fully know my wife, right? And she doesn't fully know me. Some of you can attest to that, right? Like I'll, have, I'll do premarital counseling or marital counseling and we'll talk about that. Like you're going to know, get to know each other for the rest of your life. There are gonna be times where you'll be surprised. Like I didn't know that about you. And careful how you say that, right? So, so to know somebody means a lifelong communion with them that you would continue to discover who they are. So that Ephesians 3 passage, I could ask you to memorize it. And you could go through all week memorizing it, writing it down. And you could come next week and you could tell me verbatim what Ephesians 3.20 says. Or we could go ahead and you could listen to the sermon. We could talk about this for three weeks. And you could get to know what Ephesians 3 says. Or we could ask Carolina or Claudia, hey, will you turn this into a song so that we could all sing it together and we would get to know Ephesians 3. But it's an entirely different thing when we go on into a journey of knowing Does God do immeasurably more than we could ask or think? Like, that's a whole different thing. I mean, you and I could meet Jesus. We could look up Wikipedia about Jesus. But to know him daily and hourly and minute by minute minute is an entirely different adventure. Esther Meek would call it this, a knowing venture. I think journey is too soft of a word. Let me define journey or venture for you. A risky or daring journey or undertaking. Some of you who've been a believer for a long time know that walking with Jesus can be risky. If you remember one of the words he said, one of the phrases he said was, you, if you're gonna follow me, you take up a cross and follow me. That takes risk. It takes risk to step into something with faith that says, I don't fully know or understand, but I'm going to walk in this to discover who Jesus is. That I could be skeptical on the front end and I could be doubting like crazy as I walk and doubt is okay, believers. Doubt is okay as you walk this life with Jesus because uh, he keeps getting closer as you begin to doubt. And so, so this walking out and saying, okay, this is a risky adventure that I need to go on to know him more. Does he really do immeasurably more than we could ask or think? In Exodus chapter six, God talks to the people of Israel. They've been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. God takes them out of slavery and this is what he says. I'm going to take you as my own people and I will be your God and then you will what? Know that I'm the Lord your God who, took, who brought you out from under the yoke 
of Egyptians. This was a venture to go from being in slavery to go to freedom. And you, if you know that story, it was quite a venture for all of them. And they began to know God more and more and more as they walked in that. Sometimes they were super like, I don't know if this is our God. I don't know if I can really follow him. I don't know if he really does what he says he does. And he kept showing up and he did immeasurably more than they could ask or think. But Pharaoh, Pharaoh had a different approach. Look at Exodus 5. This is Pharaoh. He's the one that owned all the Israelites for a long time. Pharaoh said, who is this Lord that we're talking about? He's talking to Moses, that I should even obey him and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. So what Pharaoh knew, which was very little about Yahweh, did not transform him in any way. He would not listen to Moses when God said, hey, you need to let these people go. Eventually, Pharaoh began to know who his, uh, Yahweh was and let, those, let the Israelites go. But he still wasn't transformed by Yahweh. It was more like information that he gathered about him. Hmm. So back to Paul. Paul goes on this journey, this venture about knowing, does God do immeasurably more? Initially, he didn't follow Jesus. He didn't believe Jesus was who he says he was. In fact, he persecuted the church. He some people to the point of death because they followed Jesus. And so Paul, he, he one day is on this journey and Jesus miraculously, miraculously shows up in front of him. He falls to his knees. He begins to follow Jesus and his life is transformed from that point on. And he began to look for places that God was at work and he went there and he wanted to see God at work. He wanted to see, does God do immeasurably more than we could ask or think? Hmm. There are times followers of Jesus and those who are not yet followers where God will show his character to you. And there are times where you could lean into it and say, oh, is this really true about who you say you are? And there are times where we could entirely ignore it and not even like lean in. We could lean away from what God is doing. Paul, the same writer of these passages uh, that I was showing earlier, he discovered something else about God. Look at this in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. He said, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast that all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. How did Paul know that God's grace would be sufficient? Did he look up one day and say, how sufficient is God's grace, right? Is that how God knew that God's grace would be sufficient, especially when he felt like he was super weak? Like how did Paul discover and really know that God's grace was sufficient? It was when God showed up when he was weak. When Paul felt like, I am at my weakest, he knew that God would be sufficient because God showed up in those moments. Watch what he says here to describe that. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses because God keeps showing up in them, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Look at how he defines what he's gone through in 2 Corinthians 11. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, basically in danger from everything, right? And this is where he discovers God's grace is sufficient. 
I know many of you have walked through hardship. Many of you are walking through hardship. And you have testimony that God has shown up over and over in the past. That he has been faithful in many ways. Some of you are walking through hardship and you're not certain about that yet. And it will take somebody else speaking into you and saying, hey, he's faithful in this. He will be faithful in this. So for the last 2,000 years, men and women, young and old, have declared really bold statements about our creator. Like Paul did with God will do immeasurably more. And over and over as they declare it, people will question like, is that really the truth or not? And so they just continue to live out their faith and say, this is what I believe about my creator. And they did so boldly. In, mo- in many cases, it was under persecution that they would do that boldly. And so, so like this woman named Sojourner Truth, maybe you know some history about uh, American history here. Sojourner Truth, that wasn't her birth name. She was born into slavery. And at one point, she begins to follow Jesus and say, I want to follow Jesus. He is my creator. She sees something miraculous, and she falls to her knees and says, I want to follow Jesus. And at that point, she felt like her name needed to be changed by Jesus. And so she took on sojourner, which means to walk among other people, almost like you're in a foreign land. And her last name was Truth, so that she would go around and declare truth. And maybe you don't know her. You might know Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote the book Uncle Tom's Cabin. Do you remember that? Are you with me? All right. So Harriet ended up being in the same house at one point with Sojourner. And Harriet discovers Sojourner's there. So she goes and meets her and introduces herself to her. And she says, Sojourner, I hear that you preach the gospel. And she says, yes, I do. And so she says, hey, what text or what scripture do you use to teach the gospel? And she says, I've never been taught to read, so I don't have any text, but here's my text. This is what she says. When I preach, I have just one text to preach from, and I always preach from this one. When my, my text is, when I found Jesus. She didn't necessarily need to be fully educated to begin to preach about who Jesus is. She, she discovered Jesus, she's changed by him and says, I'm going to live the rest of my life as if I have encountered Jesus. And so she takes on the mantle of setting slaves free. And she does an incredible job with that. She actually ends up one day meeting Abraham Lincoln. And then she also takes up the banner of giving women the rights that they need. Hmm. She gave her whole life to that. Even under extreme hardships. Watchman Nee. He was born in the early 1900s in, in China to Christian parents. And one day he decides to make his faith his own. At 17, he says, I want to declare that Jesus is my Savior. And as a response to that, then he goes out and he feels like God has called him to go out into all of China to preach the gospel. So he travels throughout China, even under communist author, uh, uh, the, uh, the communist rule, he goes throughout China and he plants churches and he tells others about Jesus. Look at his response. From the evening I was saved, I began to live a new life for the life of the eternal God had entered into me. No, like his life was transformed when he came to Jesus. Gladys Aylward, she was born in the early 1900s, was born in England. She felt called to go to, to be a missionary to China. So she, she goes to school for it and she flunks out. And so she, she asks them, can I still go and be a missionary to China? And they tell her, no, you flunked, how can we send you? 
And so she finds a way to get on a train to go across Soviet Union. The train breaks down in Serbia, or Siberia, excuse me, and she travels from there to Japan and then travels from there to China. One day she, she uh, starts an orphanage for 200 children. That's when World War, I, World War II broke out. She takes a, many of them across the, the, uh, the terrain to bring them to safety. At one point, she gets kicked out of China. She wants to go back, so she goes to Taiwan. She starts another orphanage in, China, in Taiwan. Let me keep going. I got to get a couple more of these for you. Francis, oh, yeah, Francis Collins. He, uh, he just retired from the National Institute of Health. And he initially started out as a, um, helping uh, start the geno Human Genome Project. Francis was an atheist. In his early 20s, he encounters Jesus, and he discovers that I don't have to give up my belief in science to also have my faith in my Savior. And so he brings those two worlds together, and he publicly declares for the rest of his life that he's a follower of Jesus and a scientist, which would have been a little bit of a conflict for many people in that, in that world. And here's what he says. The God of the Bible is also the God of the genome. He can be worshiped in the cathedral or in the laboratory. Another really difficult place to, to, to live out your faith is in the art world. And there's a Japanese artist named, uh, let's pull him up here, Makoto Fujimura. If you want to see some, if you're in, like, if you appreciate art, he does this incredible process called slow art. And out of that, he talks about the resurrection of the king. And here's what he says. In the art world, claiming to be a follower of Christ is often seems transgressive. But when I speak of practicing resurrection, artists welcome it, even those who are atheists. That he would take the gift that God has given him for the kingdom of God to discover, does God do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine? So in this room right here, gathered each Sunday, there are many of you who step into that over and over with uncertainty, like, God, I'm a little nervous about this, but I'm going to take this risky venture. I'm going to walk this faith out that you've called me to. I don't just come to learn every Sunday. I'm actually going to live this out from day to day, from minute to minute, hour by hour. I'm going to live this faith out, this life that you've called me to live. So Lisa and Jeff Murphy, they're new to our community uh, in the last couple of years. For 20 years, they took wheelchairs to places like Afghanistan and Pakistan, knowing that there were people who were disabled that did not have that ability to move around. And so they would, in, in very risky areas, take wheelchairs to people because of their faith in Jesus and begin to be able to talk to people about Christ. Connie Chang, I don't know if she's in here. I think she's serving. Every Sunday... She takes our messages and translates them into Mandarin to send to their fa her family in Taiwan. Like every Sunday, she works on sharing the gospel with her own family. Rochelle and Melanie and Victoria, all this year, young women in our church, have decided, I want to know more about Jesus, and I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I'm going to seminary to see what happens next. Like they stepped out in faith to say, okay, I'm going to live this faith out in many ways as God calls me to. There's a team going to Utah. Where is our Utah? There's a few of you over here. Can I embarrass you, Felicia? Just for a moment. Is that okay? No. <laughs> Felicia, you were just baptized this last year, right? You're new in your faith, and you're already going out to tell the gospel. I, that's how we... Sorry to embarrass you. Yeah, you can clap for that. I'll just say... 
So many times we give ourselves excuses of why I can't do what God has called me to do. When he says, I'll give you the power to do it. Like over and over, we'll see followers of Jesus living in the power of the gospel, living in the power of his spirit to live out what Jesus has called us to do. Last week, uh, a member of our, of our community passed away and he has three young children, two of which go to our academy. And it rocked, it rocked their world. And many of you quickly responded. We had a number of women that went over to, to the widow, uh, their home and just, just cared for her and made meals for them and cleaned her house. But the day that, that the daddy passed, there was a senior in our high school who heard about it and immediately drove over to the house and spent hours with the young son, just sitting with him in his grief and continue caring for him over and over again. The life of faith is a risky venture. And you and I are, if we are followers of Jesus, need to take some bold steps to say, okay, I'm gonna live this faith out. And I want to follow to Jesus and see, does he do immeasurably more than we could ask or think? That he would call each of us into that. That you and I would no longer just say, okay, I go to church on Sundays and that's what defines my faith. Here's what we want to do. As we step over and to say, okay, we're going to move locations. Our goal is not to go from one seat to a seat in another location. That it, there's nothing in that. There is no immeasurably more in that, right? Like what we want to do is we want to be moved, each of us individually and collectively. God, I'm stepping out in faith. Whatever you want me to do next, I'll do. I'll surrender. So if that means that some of you are called to be sent into parts of this world to preach the gospel, let's do it. If that means we're going to plant more churches and many of us in this room would be called to go do it, let's do it. If that means some of us are going to go on the other side of the wall to preach the gospel to children in our community, let's do it. That we would step out in faith and say, okay, God, wherever you're at work, I will go and I want to see, will you do immeasurably more than we could ask or think? So here's the question. I'm going to jump ahead, uh, JD. Here's the question I want us to consider as we close. You'll have to pass several passages here. How will you pursue knowing God does immeasurably more? So this year ahead, if Paul says that he will do more than we could ask or imagine, how will you pursue that? Like to discover if it really is what he says it is. Like that to discover, yes, God will do more than I could ask or imagine. What will it take for you to step out into that and say, okay, this is a little risky, but I'm going to discover what it is. Is this truth? And can I, can I live this life out? So what I want you to do, just for a moment of, of a posture of prayer, you could bow your heads, you could put your hands out, you could look up towards heaven. And in a way, just say, God, what would you want to do in my life this year? Even saying something like, I, there are gifts in me that I have not surrendered to you to do whatever you want. Some of you might be praying, God, I have no idea what gift you want to use in me, but I want to step out in faith 
to be empowered by your spirit to see you do your work in your kingdom. Just be, I'll, I'll be quiet for just a moment as you are with your creator. Maybe you're not yet a Jesus follower and you're considering him. Maybe today what do you do is you say, I don't know all the answers, but, but I want to know you. And I want to step out into this and to, to know you. Would you reveal yourself to me? You see, Jesus, he was a gift from God. He was God himself in the flesh that came to this world to live a perfect life, to sacrifice his life that we would have life, that we would not have to take the penalty of our sinful life and our brokenness, that he would do that for us and that in that he would give us abundant life, that we could live from this point forward. And so if you are new to faith, we would ask you to consider what does it mean to follow Jesus and would you want to follow him? Father, would you do your work here in this space? We want to see you do immeasurably more in our lives, in this community, and around the world. Holy Spirit, would you give us boldness to live that out? Would you give us boldness to live out this faith that you've called us to? I want us to just say something out loud together. Ephesians 3.20 is actually called a doxology. A doxology is this prayer or praise that churches for 2,000 years have been saying out loud together. And so I want us to just close out our time together with this praise. And it's Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. And if you just read them out, out loud with me, here it says, let's do this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. God, that you would do your work throughout all generations, that we would be able to see it and we would see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that we would be so bold as to step into that, that you'd have your way, we surrender. Pray this in Jesus' name. If you made a decision today to follow Jesus, we'd love to know that. Uh, you could scan that QR code in front of you uh, and, and you can let us know, I've made this decision to follow Jesus and we'd love to walk beside you or you could stop at the welcome wall on your way out. If you're new to our community, welcome. We'd love to meet you at the welcome wall on your way out as well. And then uh, we'll also have some people up here up front to pray with you if you need prayer. We'd love to walk beside you. All right, church, let's go show the world who Jesus is and we'll see you next Sunday. God bless.